COVID, in the past two and a half years, if anything, there's been a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty introduced in our societies, our companies, our markets, etc. Have you seen firsthand a shift in the role of the leader and the meaning of leadership during those two and a half years of pandemic? What are some of the shift or the trends you have seen in terms of what qualities leaders are being asked to show? Well, I think we've seen an elevation of empathy and understanding of our mutual vulnerability and a recognition of what really matters. You know, I think uh, putting the well-being of people at the center of what we've prioritized, I think the best leaders have done that. It is about protecting the people in a physical sense, first of all maintaining their health and safety, but also protecting them in terms of livelihood. And there's some pretty amazing and heroic stories that I've seen about the lengths to which companies have gone to try to make sure that you know, people are going to be okay. And I think that has really, it's kind of opened the heart and awakened the sense of interconnectedness, interdependence, and shared vulnerability that we all have as human beings. We recognize how connected we are and how vulnerable we are in this time. And of course, it has also led us to innovate more rapidly than any time in recent history. We have made changes uh, within a matter of weeks that uh, normally would take months or years. You know, as they say, we have pivoted in so many ways. We have discovered the ability to cooperate with others, competitors, you know, within the same industry or with other industries or with the government and so forth. There's been a, a higher level of cooperation, I think. So we've exercised certain muscles, I think, in this pandemic in terms of rapid change, innovation, cooperation, caring, that I think will hold us in good stead as we go forward, because this is not the last pandemic. There will be others. And of course, we have got the largest pandemic of all, which is climate change, which is an ongoing slow pandemic, but accelerating. And we're going to have to apply what we have learned in a much larger way as we go forward. Kelly, I want to hear your take on what Raj just commented on. What so, have you seen? Bravo, absolutely right. The last couple of years absolutely has required current leaders in 2020 to start recognizing that the style of leadership needed to change and actually started changing. You know, we've talked about this many times over the years, and the reality of it is if you look back when we were talking about 25 years ago and what did leaders look like back then and what was expected of them. And having been in business back 25 years ago, and that's the last time I'll talk about how old I am, there were many qualities that I had to suppress as a woman leader that is now being coveted by male leaders who are now demonstrating these skills and saying it's so important to be empathetic and it's so important to listen and on and on. And you're looking at them going, we've been talking about this forever, guys. It's about time, right? It's about time you recognize what it takes to be a full, whole leader. So I absolutely agree with Raj. And I know that, Danielle, one of the things that you were concerned about is that we were going to have a love fest here and that we're always going to agree with each other. Because we do have very similar perspectives, although come at it from a different perspective. But the only other thing I want to share about what I saw in the last couple of years with leaders, the willingness to be vulnerable, absolutely, but to a limited audience. Like they weren't showing vulnerability to the people in their company because employees were expecting you to have the answer, even if you didn't. 
the whole notion of VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, was something that the volatility of what happened, how uncertain everything was, it wasn't an easy fix. The complexity was there. The last piece I want to share about this is March 9th, 2020, I was with a client doing a presentation for their International Women's Day celebration. We were talking about, you know, in advance, what is it that we're going to be sharing at this time? And we had done all kinds of stuff on leadership. And I said to them, I said, you know, I've been having this feeling that we really need to be talking about the pace of global change in business and how much more rapid things are happening that leaders have to respond to and manage whether they feel good about it or not. And when I used VUCA, right, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, as my example of how to manage change in the pace of global change right now, my ambiguity was the coronavirus. That was my example. It was new. We didn't really know what it was going to do. Flights to Asia had been shut down. Shipping lines had started to stop bringing goods out of Asia, but it hadn't really hit Europe that hard yet. We were right at the tipping point of basically all hell breaking loose. In those two years, and even today, that pace of having to make decisions, not having a tried and true answer, not knowing what's coming next, not recognizing exactly what this was going to do to supply chains, to business as usual. No one had any idea. And yet leaders had to step up. So yes, caring for your employee, being empathetic, listening and so forth, critical. But layer on top of that, the need for speed, the need for decisiveness when you don't have the answers or even a framework to work within because you're you know, working with something you've never seen before. I think that there's a few, and I know that, well, I, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about competencies and so forth, but there are a few things that COVID and the pandemic and the civil unrest here in the U.S. really changed the way leaders had to show up every day. And part of it was massively dealing with ambiguity. These are very moving anecdotes. I mean, we all went through that moment. It's amazing that you could sense that already. And the VUCA for the audience is an acronym that Kelly just unpacked for us. But the A part is about that ambiguity and that you could sense that already at the beginning, that that thing is going to provide a lot of ambiguity to our environment. How will you cope with that? Business being so global. 2001, when the SARS virus came out of China, we learned about it. But it was maintained mostly, right? But 20 years later, or 19 years later, here comes something that because of the way humans are traveling, because of the way business is so interrelated and global, this thing spread like wildfire. Nothing like that has ever happened before. You had to know. You had to. If you were a leader of an organization, it should have been pinging your radar the minute they stopped flying planes to Asia or out of Asia. That right there should have said, we're in trouble. The second clue was shipping lines. As both of you are commenting about those characteristics of leaders that you have observed, I mean, you've worked with some of the leading organizations or business organizations in the world, each one of you in your, in your own career. I'm going to ask you a question that probably the most asked question in MBA programs all the time, and it keeps going at it, even though 
for people have provided some answers about leaders. There is kind of a myth of the leaders, especially in this country, almost like a worship of leaders, of business mm-hmm. leaders. And we put them on a pedestal and then we enjoy destroying them <laughs> very quickly just after that. There is a myth that in some literature that true leaders, whether they are in politics or in business, which is really our focus or otherwise, are born, not made. What is your own take? What do you believe in that very simple but with profound implication question? Are leaders born or are they made? Or is that both or is that neither? <laughs> Raj, you want to take a shot at that? <laughs> yeah, no, I believe leaders are developed. You know, leaders are grown. Leaders evolve. By the time somebody gets into a position to be a leader, they've experienced a certain amount of life and they've accumulated certain wounds and certain traumas and certain experiences. And unless these leaders are self-aware and unless they are also focused on their own need for healing from those traumas, they will end up being very reactive leaders who get triggered by certain things, right? And they are coming from a place of inner wounds and traumas. I mean, we can think about some of the bad leaders in the world and the people who've done the most damage. I think we find more examples of terrible leadership in the world today than we do great leadership. That's in really short supply. And we can see that all of them are acting out from certain impulses that exist within them that are a result of wounds and traumas. There's a wounded inner child that exists within every cruel leader. And so I think It is a matter of developing yourself. As we say, you need to heal yourself. You need to understand your own triggers. When do you get hijacked? As Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will drive your life and you will call it fate. So I think everybody can become their own version of a leader once they have done the work. And the work is around self-awareness, knowing themselves, and then loving themselves, which is often a challenge because they have a lot of people are filled with self-loathing because of their conditioning and their parenting and everything else that may have happened to them. And then discovering their unique essence, you know, so being themselves, who am I and how can I then be that and bring that into the world, right? The authenticity, as Bill George has talked about, authentic leadership. So I think it is about every person discovering their own unique purpose that's a function of their qualities that they were born with and to some degree, they're uh, nurturing and then becoming whole. So healing the splits that exist within them. And that includes the masculine feminine, but also includes what I call the elder and child energy and integrating all of those and healing. The healing of what needs to be healed. I think we have an epidemic of post-traumatic stress injury in the world. I think everybody has trauma of different kinds. We minimize them, most of us, because we say, we didn't get sent to Afghanistan or Iraq, so what right do we have to complain about you know, things that happen to us? But the fact is, life is difficult, and, and there are traumatic things that happen as a matter of course You know, when you are growing up, and then there are the other things that happen that might be quite distinctive. So there is trauma at every level. There's personal trauma, there's family trauma, there's ancestral trauma, which now we're finding through epigenetics actually is carried forward into our genes from generations ago. We weren't there to experience the trauma of our forefathers, and yet it resides within us. And if you look at every culture, given the extensive history of war and conflict that human beings have had, that trauma exists. In this country, most people have either some trauma that comes from having been enslaved or having been the enslavers, right? And India, it comes from all the, the caste system and all the abuse 
and all the rest of it, right? So there's ancestral trauma and then there's collective trauma. The uh, pandemic, uh, I think Ukraine, the shootings that happen, you know, climate change. I mean, these are all kinds of traumatic things. And so I think what I'm saying is that leaders, the ability to be a leader exists, I believe, in all of us. But there are certain things that hold us back and constrain us from being leaders. But I believe all of those things can be worked on. Because remember, we all have to lead ourselves, right? So whether or not we're ever put into leadership, we have to learn how to lead ourselves. And most people are not good at that. Why? Because they're subject to all of these things that I'm talking about. So once we address all of those, and we work on ourselves and become aware of who we are and, and cultivate those, uh, those qualities and, and work on healing ourselves, then I think everybody can become a leader. Now, even within that, some people will have a greater capacity. So there is some degree, just like we have different IQs, right? and that cannot be changed. There are certain other things. So yeah, there are certain attributes that will help us. But I think most of what we are dealing with are things that happen to us and that we can rise above them and heal from them and become the kind of leader that we are meant to be and have the potential to be. Thank you. Kelly, you have an opinion about that, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Born <Yeah. and> made. <laughs> so I think it's both, actually. And I think it's both because I believe that there are leaders at every age and every level of any organization and even in grammar school. You have people who naturally seem to take leadership roles within schoolrooms and so forth with having no actual training to be that person. It's just a combination of factors that happen to them, whether they you know, are born with like type A personalities or they have a very high ambition level or things like that that isn't trained. It's there. And some of the work that we do, we talk about in business, there are leaders at every level, whether they're running a team or not. They could be an individual contributor. So it's really how do you define leader as to whether it's made or if it's natural. So there are very charismatic people out there who are at any stage of their career who may be a very good leader of people or leader of others or uh, inspiration to people. But then there are those leaders who are made during crisis who may never have stepped up before, right? So sometimes it's what happens to you. Sometimes it's innate. And then sometimes you can be trained to be a really great leader when different perspectives are given to you and new ideas are brought to you and you have exposure to more people, more ideas, new information. So I kind of think it's not one or the other. It's like there's this beginning that might send you on a faster trajectory. And then there are those who, because of fire or crisis or whatever, step up and become a leader. Raj, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, I, 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 so uh, there's research that shows that introverted people actually are very effective leaders in the long run. They have the larger than life personalities and the highly charismatic and so forth. But they're much more rooted in their ego and they might be from a self-serving place, not from a serving place. Right. right? And of course, servant leadership, that's the kind of leadership that is found to actually be more impactful and have yeah. a positive impact on the people that you lead and you, you generate more trust. So I do believe that all kinds of people are capable of being leaders. Yeah. Some people seek it and thrust themselves into those roles and others, very often the most effective leaders or potentially effective leaders don't seek out leadership. No, they get dragged kicking and screaming too. Yeah, because we've associated leadership with power and ego and you know, all of those 
people associate exactly. with corruption, right? So as Peter Sengi said, power and virtue need to go together. And we've created systems in which the most powerful are not the most virtuous, they're the most ruthless. And then the most virtuous do not seek power because they associate power with Right, exactly. With all the negative connotations that come with it. Exactly. 